I'm Brett McGarry. I'm Jeff Braun. We are the Couch Potatoes. And this week we're counting down our favorite movies of 2018. And let's kick it off with the biggest domestic movie of the year, Black Panther. I waited my entire life for this. The world's gonna start over. I'm gonna burn it all. What happens now determines what happens to the rest of the world. Black Panther stormed the box office back in February and went on to make $700 million in North America to be the king of the box office for 2018. We first met the Black Panther in 2016's Captain America Civil War. Black Panther, a.k.a. T'Challa, is king of the fictional African nation of Wakanda. He's played once again here by Chadwick Boseman. Wakanda is a super technologically advanced country way ahead of the rest of the world. They're protective of their people and their resources, and they've managed to hide themselves from the rest of the world. And not in the sense that no one knows they exist. They just successfully convince the world they're this poor farming country with nothing to offer, so the rest of the world just leaves them alone. And it's quite an amazing place, and everything seems hunky-dory for T'Challa as he takes the throne, but a character named Eric Killmonger, played by Michael B. Jordan, is coming for T'Challa, and the fate of the entire nation and the fate of the world rests on T'Challa's ability to stop him. This isn't just a fun superhero movie, it's an important social commentary, and it's the first movie with a black superhero as the lead, and it's nominated at the Golden Globes for Best Motion Picture Drama, a rare feat for a comic book movie. Absolutely, that's a great one. Um, Charlize Theron plays a mom who's on the edge until she meets Tully. Hello. I'm Tully. I'm here to take care of you. I'm just not used to people doing things for me. I hold a baby all day, and then nighttime rolls around and I'm supposed to just switch gears, like, hello, all sexy now. You're empty. Yeah. No, you're empty on this side. <sighs> that was a breast-pumping joke. Tully is a comedy-slash-drama from director Jason Reitman and writer Diablo Cody, who also did Juno together in 2007. Charlize Theron dangerously overtired, and so her brother suggests that she hire a night nanny, a nanny who will stay up all night in case the baby needs something, allowing mom to get some much-needed sleep. Enter Tully, the name of the nanny. They become friends, but how much control will Tully eventually have? Not in a hand-that-rocks-the-cradle sense, just her influence on a stressed-out Charlize. It's quite something, a fairly brilliant story well told and Charlize Theron is dynamite as always for as much as we seem to celebrate her I feel like she's still very underrated one of the more bonkers movies this year was something called a simple favor oh you do not want to be friends with me trust me Stephanie I need your help uh, are you okay I'm fine but I, I do need just a, a simple favor can you come over yeah five days ago Emily went missing. I warn you, you go poking around in her past, you're gonna find something that is terrifying. She was not a normal person like you or me. 
Anna Kendrick is a single mom of a young boy, and this, she's a helicopter parent. She does everything and does it well. That includes making these YouTube videos about baking and arts and crafts, that sort of thing. She becomes unlikely friends, she thinks, with another mom, Blake Lively, who's a high-powered corporate lady who drinks martinis in the afternoon and swears a lot. They are polar opposites. One day, Blake asks Anna for a simple favor. Look after a kid after school. But Blake never comes back to get the kid. Anna Kendrick gets all Nancy Drew and starts investigating the mystery. It's a genuine mystery thriller with a lot of twists and turns, maybe one or two too many at the end. But it's also very funny, not in a dumb and dumber kind of way, but in a nervous, twitchy kind of way. It's unlike anything I've ever seen before, and God knows we don't get to say that too often when we go to the movies. Good stuff from a simple favor. I First of all, I can't believe you went to see this. And yeah. Second, I was stunned when you said you enjoyed it. It's so cool, yeah. I uh, keep meaning to watch this and I keep forgetting, so I do need to get my hands on A Simple Favor. Also, in my favorites of 2018, another movie that debuted back in February, just a week after Black Panther did. This one's called Annihilation. Did it communicate with you? It reacted to me. You really have no idea what it was. Natalie Portman is the star of this film, which was described as a futuristic, gothic horror, based on part one of author Jeff Vandermeer's Southern Reach trilogy, which was published in 2014. It's about a part of the continent now simply known as Area X. It's been cut off from the rest of the world for decades. And the area is growing. This border looks like a bubble, you know, like when you blow a bubble and you look closely at it, it kind of looks oil slicky or whatever. It looks like that. Expeditions have gone in. Eleven have gone in so far. They never go well. And if people come back, they go nuts or they die of some horrible sickness or just some crappy fate befalls them. Natalie Portman going in for the next expedition. And when she gets in... I can't even describe it. It's just weird, it's scary, it's cool, it's imaginative, it's unlike anything I've ever seen. The ending will not be satisfying for a lot of people, I think, but I loved this movie. I wish I had seen it in theaters on a big screen, but better late than never. It's on Netflix if you're curious. And by the way, another thing I think that kind of hurt this movie just as it came out is it was was accused of whitewashing because the character that Natalie Portman plays in the books is Asian, but there's no mention of that in that first book, and the director only read that first book because oh, even though it's a trilogy, yeah. he just sort of treated it as a standalone movie, so he didn't want to know what happens. Hmm. So they were accused of whitewashing, and Portman also said she didn't know, but uh, I don't know. It's a good movie. Natalie Portman's great. I recommend Annihilation. I wanted to see that one, but I was I was too scared to watch that one because I heard it's got some gross stuff in it. There is uh, one scene in particular that is both gross and Super scary. Yeah. So I think you might have a hard time Maybe with I'll that. Maybe I'll just read that book. Yeah. Uh, my favorite straight-up comedy this year was Game Night. Tonight, we're taking Game Night up a notch. Oh, boy. Mm. Jason Bateman and Rachel McAdams play a happily married couple who throw a weekly game night with their friends. They are super competitive. Their friends just want to have a fun evening. Well, one weekend, Bateman's brother, Kyle Chandler, gets to be in charge of game night and organizes a murder mystery type game. But it turns out to be a real kidnapping and everyone thinks it's a game, at least at first. Someone in this room is going to be taken and it's going to be up to you to find them. It's a murder mystery party. Whoever finds the victim wins the grand prize. You're not going to know what's real and what's fake. It's not a joke. You people are in real danger. Is this gun real? Oh, oh no, Annie. Oh, oh no, 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 no. 
Soon they realize it's real, that there are life and death stakes and all the rules are off. Everyone is funny in this, but Jesse Plemons steals the show. He plays Gary, the weird neighbor, with a dog, and that poor dog. There's a lot of bizarre, goofy humor from the guys who brought us horrible bosses. Bateman, of course, does his Bateman thing. McAdams' game and gets a better part than she usually gets in comedies. I laughed a lot at this one. It looks terrific as well. Often with comedies, the filmmaking can be an afterthought, but not with Game Night. Vigo Mortensen and Mahershala Ali go for a drive in another one of my favorites. It's called Green Book. Yeah. Some guy called over here, a doctor. He's looking for a driver. You interested? I am not a medical doctor. I'm a musician. I'm about to embark on a concert tour in the Deep South. What other experience do you have? Public relations. Do you foresee any issues in working for a black man? You and the Deep South? There's gonna be problems. Promise me you're going to write me a letter. I promise. Green Book is not a Disney movie, but aspects of it do feel like a Disney movie in a good way. It's a feel-good story about a black man and a white man coming together to form an unlikely friendship as they drive through the Deep South. For a movie that features a lot of mafia types and racists, the language is decidedly benign, hence the Disney comparison. It's also fairly simple in its handling of complex issues, which, when that's done well, as it is here, is fine. The performances by the leads are outstanding, though. We've recently seen a lot of good stuff from Mahershala Ali. But don't forget, Viggo Mortensen is a terrific actor. He commits to this to a degree that probably wasn't necessary, but does add so much to the film. Watch it. I guarantee you will like Green Book. Up next, another knockout blow from the Son of Apollo. The Couch Potatoes counting down our favorite movies of 2018. You are listening to The Couch Potatoes. Brett McGarry, Jeff Brown, we are The Couch Potatoes. We're counting down our favorite movies of 2018. Jeff, do you know how many movies you saw this year? I think it's about 25 or so. I got a list. The first one on my list says The Post, and the last one says Aquaman. Okay. So uh, the post, I, I mean, that was nominated as a movie from last year for all those awards and stuff. Is I also got Phantom Thread and three billboards outside, whatever it was called. Ebbing, Missouri, I, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, uh, those count as this year? Not really. For counting down, they certainly don't, but I did see them in the calendar year 2018. Yeah, I saw, I think, 24 movies, actually. So I'm right behind you. Oh, Although that's that, That's probably going to change because uh, I know you always see a whole bunch of movies right around this time of year in early January, but... Uh, I also have my Hanks Fest. Yeah. And I went to see Monty Python and the Holy Grail oh, on the big screen. Boy. So, yeah. So, there's all sorts of stuff out there. Okay. So, yeah, not not as many movies as years gone by. I think no. the, my record was 52. Holy smokes. All in theater. Like, a lot of the movies that I yeah. saw this year that I, I saw on Netflix or on Blu-ray, like The Meg recently. We got The Meg on right. Blu-ray from Warner Brothers. I yep. watched that and Crazy Rich Asians. So, I haven't been to the movies a lot this year. But I did see this next one on the big screen. We already mentioned one movie starring Michael B. Jordan, which was Black Panther. 2018 has been a good year for the young rising star of this film. Here's another movie that he's in. It's Creed 2. Victor Drago, son of Ivan Drago, who infamously killed Apollo Creed, appeared today to issue a challenge to Adonis Creed. Don't do this. I ain't got a choice. That's the same thing your father said. He died right here in my hands. That kid was raised in hate. It's dangerous. He broke things in me that ain't never been fixed. It ain't worth it. If he dies, he dies. Creed 2, not as good as the first Creed movie, which arrived in 2015, but it's close. 
Creed told us the story of Adonis Creed, son of Apollo Creed. He tracks down Rocky Balboa, Rocky trains him, and he becomes a good boxer. He, well, he was already a good boxer, but he becomes a really good boxer. Now, in the sequel, he has to take on, as you heard, Victor Drago, son of Ivan Drago. I was excited by this prospect when I first saw the trailer because I'm a huge fan of Rocky IV, even if in hindsight it's a really stupid movie. But I was also nervous about this prospect, prospect because Rocky IV is cartoonish and silly. And I thought, are they going to do the same thing with this sequel and kind of taint the image of that first Creed movie? Which, by the way, that first Creed movie I think is one of the best movies of the saga, probably after the first Rocky movie. But no, they handled it with care. They even gave Ivan Drago some redemption. Dolph Lundgren delivered a really solid performance with very little dialogue. And the story of he and his son was touching. And Adonis Creed's just such a great character, especially in the hands of B. Jordan. And Sylvester Stallone says he is officially out. He's leaving Rocky behind, so the next Creed movie will be all Creed. But I'll believe that when I see it. Dolph Lundgren almost made me cry in this movie, and I couldn't believe it. That blew my mind. Yeah. yeah it, was, it was awesome. And uh, Rocky's line that we heard in the clip there, he broke things in me that ain't never been fixed. That's line of the year at the movies this year. You like that? That's just a great line. I like that line. Yeah. He, Stallone, say what you will about Stallone, but the, he is he's a creative genius. Yeah. When he can f- get something in his lane, he delivers every time. Yeah. Um, it's not having the award season that many thought it would, but I'm riding hard for it. Damien Chazelle's First Man. First man to walk on the moon. It'll be a hell of a ride. It's a job so difficult, we're going to have to start from scratch. We need to fail down here so we don't fail up there. This isn't just another trip, Neil. We have serious problems. Do you think you're coming back? Five, four, three, two. First Man, rated PG-13. Another winner from Chazelle, who also directed Whiplash and La La Land. Ryan Gosling plays Neil Armstrong in this surprisingly quiet biopic. At least his character is quiet. Armstrong is not portrayed as a big, swaggering, heroic guy, but a sad, insular individual who's surrounded by death and grief, and all he really wants to do is do his job and do it well. When asked by the media if he could bring anything he wanted to the moon, instead of saying about some knickknack or something like that, he just replies that he would like to bring more fuel. Where the movie, though, is loud is in its depiction depiction of space travel. It looks and sounds like the astronauts were literally put inside a tin can filled with rocks and then shot into the space. We assume that these dangerous these missions were dangerous, but I don't think we really appreciate how dangerous this all was 50 years ago. If you haven't seen First Man, I highly recommend it. And I, now that you mention that, I regret having not seen this on the big screen because I remember listening to your review and talking about the way that they made it the way that they depicted the launch and how yeah. terrifying it seemed, that would have been great to see and hear in a movie theater. Absolutely. And now I need to, I guess I can still go home and do it. I've got those, got like surround sound headphones. There you go. So that, that would, works. That might work, but yeah, I got to check that out. Uh, next up for me, we're coming, it's not going into space, but it was trippy enough to be in space. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. My name is Miles Morales. From the minds that brought you the Lego movie and the Lego Batman movie. This kid can turn himself invisible. Watch this. I can't do it on command. He can't do it on command. Show him the zappy thing, Miles. Can't do it on command. Can't do it on command. 
But he can do so much more. Just those two things. Just those two things. Into the Spider-Verse. Only in theaters December 14th. Made in PG. So in case you don't know, Spider-Man is my favorite superhero ever. I have read lots of Spider-Man comics over the years and was beyond thrilled when they managed to shoehorn him into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And now I'm beyond thrilled with what I've seen from Sony in the Spider-Verse. It's an interdimensional adventure that brings a whole bunch of Spider-People together. We start with Miles Morales, who is a new Spider-Man in recent years in the comics, to compliment Peter Parker. Unfortunately, in this movie, we have to get his origin story, so that kind of felt like, oh my god, another Spider-Man origin story. But, it's okay. Then, after the Kingpin experiments with opening a door to another dimension, we meet Peter B. Parker, voiced by Jake Johnson, a.k.a. Nick from New Girl. And then we be meet a Spider-Woman. We meet a Spider-Man Noir, voiced hilariously by Nicolas Cage. And we meet Peter Porker, the spectacular Spider-Ham, voiced by... Actually, you know what, Jeff? We'll, I'm going to tell you who is the voice of that, because I think you'll get a kick out of that. We're going to pause this conversation, we'll continue our Spider-Man thoughts, and then we'll find out what Jeff's next favorite movie of 2018 is. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Brett McGarry, Jeff Braun, we are The Couch Potatoes. We're counting down our favorite movies of 2018. We had to press pause as I was telling you why I like Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse as one of my favorite films of 2018 and we mentioned we've talked about this before peter porker the spectacular spider ham who which by the way again jeff you had letters to the editor published in spider ham they made 18 issues of the comic book and i got two letters to the editor there are a lot of canadian letters to the editor so i think this comic may have had either better distribution or for some reason was just more popular in canada than the u.s well i think it's cool that uh, good for you for ha for doing yes. that but the voice of the spider ham in the, the this movie this cartoon was john mulaney awesome who uh, he was? He's a successful comedian, he's right? A very successful. He's a great comedian. And it, doesn't he also do one of the voices on one of your favorite TV he's shows? He's also on the Big Mouth with Nick Kroll. Yeah, he uh, plays Andrew, the one of the main kids on that one. By the way, if you missed our top TV shows of 2018, make sure you get the podcast and you can go back and listen to that. But uh, one of the things I actually didn't like about Spider Ham, and I, I, maybe they, maybe this is a more recent incarnation, but they made him look more like Porky Pig. Yeah, I saw that in the commercials. I'm like, that is not what the comic book version looked like. No. So I guess, I guess that's just the design they came up with for this one. Yeah, and it still worked. And it worked actually hilariously well in this movie. And there are some move, some moments in this movie that captured Spider-Man's humor, I think, better than any movie that we've seen so far. Like, there's one scene where he's getting just pummeled by multiple bad guys, and he says, I'm starting to think you guys are mad at me. Uh, it's just this yeah. simple little throwaway line, but that's what I've always loved about Spider-Man, his quips, and they're on full display here, and even though we've seen some spectacular stuff in the live-action movies, they brought Spider-Man and all the Spider-People to life in ways they just can't do in live action because this is a cartoon with a really unique and cool animation style. I would point out the climax is a little bloated, but this is a really cool movie. I'm so happy I saw this on the big screen. I'm looking forward to seeing it. I don't know that I'll get to it on the big screen because there's stuff coming up, but uh, one day I'm definitely going to watch this movie. Next on my list, uh, the Coen Brothers' new anthology film, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Well, don't let my white duds and pleasant demeanor fool you. I, too, have been known to violate the statutes of man, and not a few of the laws of the Almighty. You ain't no outlaw, and we don't drink with tin horns. Sir, it seems that you are no better a judge of human beings than you are a specimen of one. 
Just on a brief inventory, I'd say that you could use yourself a shave and a brighter disposition. And lastly, if you don't mind me aspersing your friends, a better class of drinking buddy. You're shooting ironwork. Appears to do, yes. Tim Blake Nelson kills so many people in this movie. He leads a very large cast as the title character in this collection of what is six short Western films by Joel and Ethan Cohen. It's available on Netflix. All the different Cohen styles are represented over the course of the six short films. There's screwball comedy, serious arresting drama, the in-between area where they are their best, and one tragic story that I think pushes this into their upper tier. And in fact, they twist the knife in a way that they couldn't really do in a full-length feature. If you watched a two-hour movie that ended like that did in the fifth story of this one, you would be very upset. In a 20-minute short, it's perfect. Time will tell for sure. After all, I don't think there's one Cohen movie that isn't better the second time you watch it. Their stuff is just like that. The more you watch, the more you get out of it. It's all very sharp, crisp, and deliberate. It looks gorgeous because of the Western scenery, of course. Great stuff from the Coens. And again, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs on Netflix right now. Uh, it's been a decade since Gran Torino. That's the last time Clint Eastwood directed himself in a movie. But he's back now in one of the year's best, playing a drug mule in a movie called The Mule. Need help, sir? Oh, uh, officer, hi. You need help? Uh, no, no, I'm fine, thank you. What do you got there? Uh, well, pecans. I'm delivering pecans to my niece. And pecans? Her. Yeah, pecans. She makes the worst pecan pie you've ever tasted. I feel sorry for her husband, but... And I feel sorry for the pecans, too. <laughs> he had a bunch of drugs in his truck, but he didn't get caught. After a number of misfires, the mule sees Eastwood, the director, back in fine form. Family's the most important thing. Don't do what I did. I put work in front of family. I thought it was more important to be somebody out there than the damn failure I was in my own home. 90-year-old Earl becomes a drug mule for a Mexican cartel with the cops, led by Bradley Cooper, who was Eastwood's boy and American sniper, closing in on him. Unlike Gran Torino or Million Dollar Baby, Eastwood's character here is a fairly happy guy. To be sure, he has some stress about family and money, but he's generally cheerful. He jokes around with the drug cartel guys, and he has a way with the ladies. Eastwood actually has more sex in this movie as a 90-year-old man than he probably has had since the bridges of Madison County. Earl's a funny, affable guy, and spending two hours with him was a joy. This is the last one. So help me God. This is the last one. Next up for me was the Freddie Mercury Queen biopic, Bohemian Rhapsody. No one will play it on the radio. We need to get experimental. Bohemian Rhapsody. What on earth is it about? Scaramouche. Scaramouche. Galileo. And all that Ismiller business. Ismiller. Ismiller. Don't misunderstand. It's rock and roll. We will, we will rock you. Bohemian Rhapsody. Rated PG-13. Released on November 2nd after years of delays and problems with casting, Sasha Baron Cohen was going to star in it, and then they parted ways because he wanted it to be more gritty and more revealing. Brian Singer was the director and then he wasn't because Brian Singer is a weirdo and just so much drama in the production of this. But eventually they pulled it together. The movie was good, not great, but Rami Malek turned in an amazing performance. 
as the electrifying lead singer of Queen. It was a fun movie that celebrated the friendship of the bandmates, even if it took several creative liberties for artistic purposes. But the best part of this film is the meticulous recreation of Queen's iconic performance from 1985 at Live Aid. It is uncanny how they were able to recreate this using the audio from the actual concert. Just almost movement for movement. What Queen did on that stage, what Freddie Mercury did on that stage was recreated for the film. And the best part of the movie, I think overall for me, is that it reminded me, hey, I actually really like Queen and a lot of their songs in their catalog that don't get played typically on the radio, like the song that we're hearing right now, Hammer to Fall, or Radio Gaga. Like, they got a lot of songs that I just forgot about because they don't get played. So as a result, I really like the movie Bohemian Rhapsody. From one musical movie to another, this is one that was on both of our lists, and it's called A Star is Born. I always knew, like, you were going to do something. It's the first time I'm worried about you. Maybe she's a way out. You know, it's like... You float out of sea, and then one day you find a port. Say, I'm going to stay here for a few days. A few days, it comes a few years. And then you forgot where you were going in the first place. And you realize you like where you're at. A Star is Born is a beautiful, tragic story about a pair of rock stars, one on the way up, one on the way down. We knew Lady Gaga, who's one of them, could sing. We didn't know she could act, certainly not to the degree that she does here, co-shouldering the movie with Bradley Cooper. But it really is Cooper's movie. He directs and has a hand in every other department, it seems, helping write songs and that sort of thing. Even the dog in the movies, his real-life dog. His performance, easily the best of his career. Most actors playing an alcoholic would ham it up a good deal more than he does. And the fact that he's the director, and so there's no one to really tell him to rein it in besides himself, makes his restraint even more impressive. It's a very realistic portrayal of alcoholism, which only makes the movie more tragic. As is the case with all great movies, the supporting cast delivers knockout performances, and Sam Elliott, Andrew Dice Clay, Dave Chappelle, and all the others do just that. No movie had more hype this year, I don't think, uh, outside of a, you know some of the superhero movies, and that can sometimes cloud the, our perception. Uh, time will tell, but I think a star Star is Born 2018 version will stand out for quite some time. Up next, we'll tell you about one of our favorite movies of the year, in which I fell asleep watching in the movie theater. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Brett McGarry, Jeff Braun, we are The Couch Potatoes. We're counting down our favorite movies of 2018. This one is my second favorite movie of the year. On April 6th, stop talking. Stop moving. Don't make a sound. Because if they hear you, they hunt you. We have to protect them. A Quiet Place is genuinely scary. A remarkable achievement. And now it's 100% fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. A Quiet Place. Starring Emily Blunt and real-life husband John Krasinski, who also directed A Quiet Place, it's set a couple of years in the future in a world where humanity has been decimated by vicious monsters that hunt by sound. And it doesn't matter where they come from. Krasinski says they're aliens that crashed on Earth. But this movie isn't about the world at large. It's about one family's struggle for survival in this dangerous and depressing world. I mean, imagine not being able to make any noise, not a peep, 
You knock a pen off the table on the floor, the monsters will come and get you. If you laugh, the monsters will come and get you. If you sneeze, you die. It's scary, it's tense, it's suspenseful, and it is fun, and there is going to be a sequel. And in fact, there's a knockoff already on oh. Netflix called Bird Box. It's coming, no, yeah, just debuted on Netflix. Sandra Bullock is in it, but instead of not being able to say anything, you can't look at anything. If you see <laughs> the monster, then you die. But Yikes. yeah, just watch A Quiet Place again. My number two, Spike Lee delivered one of the best movies of his career this year with Black Klansman. The KKK is planning an attack. How do you propose to make this investigation? I'm going undercover in the Ku Klux Klan. You ready? Born ready. The wars are coming. I gotta get in deeper with these guys. I'm talking about power to the people. Black Klansman in theaters August 10th. John David Washington stars as Ron Stallworth, a real-life guy who was a black cop in Colorado who joined the Ku Klux Klan. Over the phone, he did all the work. In person, he sent his partner in the movie, Adam Driver, who is white. The point was to find out about the Klan and hopefully stop any nefarious plans that they may have arisen in the local chapter. Spike Lee has ingeniously created a movie that walks this tightrope of drama, comedy, action, suspense, reality, surreality, both down-to-earth and bonkers, all at the same time, everyone's game. Everyone's on the same page. I was amazed. It's very original. My favorite movie of 2018? Probably no surprise. There was an idea to bring together a group of remarkable people to see if we could become something more. So when they needed us, we could fight the battles that they never could. Avengers Infinity War. All of the Marvel superheroes come together in this movie to fight off Thanos, a big bad spaceman who wants to wipe out half of the population in the universe. It is a dark, serious movie, but what I love about it is the subtle humor that they managed to work in. These little one-liners like when Tony Stark, Bruce Banner, Doctor Strange, and Wong are about to face off with a couple of Thanos' cronies, and Banner just can't get the Hulk to come out, so Stark says... Dude, you're embarrassing me in front of the wizard. I'm sorry, I, I... Or when Thor and Captain America reunite in the middle of a massive battle... <laughs> Sea fighting, lots of it. Your haircut? Notice you've copied my beard. Oh, by the way, this is a friend of mine, Tree. I am Groot! I am Steve Rogers. That was like 20 seconds, but it just, they, they drop in these just little moments that cut the tension and bring the movie back down to earth just long enough to remind us. These aren't just superheroes, you're not just watching this crazy battle. These are characters we have all gotten to know so well over the last decade, we care about them. And despite having so many characters to deal with, this movie seamlessly works them all in, gives everyone a showcase, it is an impressive achievement, and I simply cannot wait for Avengers Endgame, which is out April 26th. My favorite movie of the year was one of the most unlikely, the sixth installment in a franchise, it's Mission Impossible Fallout. Ethan, where are you? I'm jumping out a window! You had a terrible choice to make. 
one life over millions. And now the world is at risk. This is now the CIA's mission. You don't understand what you're involved in. When did you get the car? The CIA's been infiltrated. I don't trust anybody outside of this room. What the hell is he doing? I find it best not to look. Mission Impossible Fallout. The last one, the fifth, Rogue Nation, was one of the best of the Mission Impossible series and followed as a worthy successor. I don't know how to explain the plot. There's really no need. By the end of the movie, the plot hardly resembles what we thought it was at the beginning. I would say, though, that unlike Mission Impossible's 3 and 4, I cared much more about the story in 5 and 6, not the plot per se, but the story, because it carries more emotional weight for Tom Cruise's Ethan Hunt. That's a nice byproduct, but that's not why we bought the ticket. We paid for action, and Fallout delivers in spades. There's a close quarters fight between Tom Cruise, Henry Cavill, and another guy in a washroom. That's brilliant. Then there's like a half-hour-long section that involves several ch chases through Paris on car, motorcycle, and then in London they're running, running, so much running. And as you know from the trailer, there was all the helicopter stunt work that just blew me away. The movie takes a bit of time to get set up, and then when it goes, it really goes. If they can keep making them this good, Cruz should do it until he's 80. This was one of my, this actually was on my favorite movies of the year as well. And even though I fell asleep <laughs> while watching it in the movie theater. But during the talking part, not during the punching and kicking. Well, that's how it started. But then I, I continue to sleep through the punching and the kicking and the running and the jumping. Like, I missed the scene where he breaks his foot. Oh, I know it's in the trailer, yeah. but they included it in the movie. And I, I slept right through it. I slept for like 20 minutes, just kind of on and off. I kept waking up and saying, Case Deus, <laughs> don't fall back asleep, don't fall back. And I, I don't know how, but it's those reclining seats at the Landmark yeah, Cinemas. There you go. They're, they are so comfy. Ya. But yeah, I recommend uh, you got to do the Landmark thing if you're going to watch a movie. Title That's of the year, The Meg. I'll just give it that. The Meg. That was a crazy... I don't know why I like that title. The Meg. That's all the time we have. Thank you very much for listening to our favorite movies of 2018. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. If you don't subscribe to the podcast already, make sure you find it wherever you find podcasts. We are the Couch Potatoes, and remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother. <laughs>